Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The is still on the line. Addition as we discuss how the Bengals can improve their offensive line with Brandon Thorne, the author of the Trench Warfare newsletter. Coming up, we'll discuss free agents Ryan Jensen, Lakin Tomlinson, Brandon Scherf, and others. Then we get into potential first-round draft picks, including Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum. And finally, Brandon tells us why it's way too soon to give up on Jackson Carmen and the Bengals' other recent offensive line draft picks. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play, next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Pentel Energel 0.7 millimeter pen. There was a story about Zach Taylor in The Athletic that was written by Dan Pompey back in November that mentioned Zach's favorite pen. The Bengals head coach apparently swears by the Pilot brand 0.07 millimeter. Now, I'm not much of a pen guy. To be quite honest, I typically steal them from hotel rooms, but I recently stumbled upon the Pentel Energel 0.7 millimeter pen, and I think it's turning me into a pen snob. There's something about the quality of this pen that turns my chicken scratch handwriting into calligraphy. Taking a quick look at Amazon, it gets 89% five-star reviews. For what it's worth, the Zach Taylor pen only gets 84% five-star reviews. It appears that my pen is mightier. Now, time to hear from my guest, Brandon Thorne, author of the Trench Warfare Newsletter, where he writes about and does video studies of offensive and defensive line play. Brandon, the Bengals are obviously determined to improve their offensive line. They've got the 31st overall pick. They have two extra draft picks as well, and they're likely to have more than $30 million in cap space. How would you go about addressing it if you're the Cincinnati Bengals? I would look to getting the best guys I could possibly get, as simple as that sounds. Um, I think you could pretty much upgrade any position on the line. Um, I think probably your best spot right now is, you know, left tackle and Jonah Williams. But I mean, even he could be upgraded uh, by somebody like Teron Armstead. But, you know, that's best case scenario there. Otherwise, I think the other four positions are pretty much up in the air. So, you know, I would look at best player available. And there's a couple interesting guys in free agency and in the draft that I think could could provide that. Well, let's start with free agency then, because there are some Pro Bowl level players out there. You mentioned Teron Armstead from the Saints. He's a three-time Pro Bowl left tackle. You've got left guard Brandon Scherf, a five-time Pro Bowler. Do you favor spending a big chunk of that cap space on a guy like that or signing multiple lower-priced free agents? Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. You know, team-building philosophy for offensive line. We've seen it, I think, done more successfully recently with the latter uh, in terms of adding multiple, you know, guys at uh, more discount type prices. You look at how the bills built their offensive line a couple of years ago when they retooled it, you know, they signed, I think 
three or four, maybe five guys. And then they drafted Cody Ford as well. Um, and, you know, I think that gives you a lot. Um, it, it just increases your margin for error that way a little bit more. Um, you could kind of just get by with that, you know, just having solid guys everywhere as opposed to just kind of centerpieces or pillars at a couple places. So that worked for them. And then the Chiefs, the Chiefs kind of, you know, they just allocated so many resources to it. They didn't necessarily just get solid players. They got like a really good left tackle, a really good left guard. Um, and then they hit it out of the park in the draft, you know, at center and right guard. So, you know, ideally that's how you do it, but that doesn't always work. Um, obviously, you know, they had, they had to have had a lot go right. Plus, I'm big on believing like who your offensive line coach is. I think Cincinnati has a pretty good one in Frank Pollock. You know, Kansas City has a very good one in Andy Heck. Plus, the infrastructure around them, the scheme, the quarterback helps, which I think since he has some of those similar parallels. So I think that they could execute a kind of a similar plan here. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with cap situations and things like that. But, um, you know, a guy like Teron Armstead would be an impact guy. And then if you have enough money to go get somebody else like a Ryan Jensen or something like that, I mean, that right there would completely transform the line. And then if you can draft one or two as well, then all of a sudden, you know, you could have three, four new starters. Um, so I, I think it really depends on what players we're talking about in terms of how I would approach it. Um, to me, I believe Teron Armstead is worth you know, investing significant amount of money in and making him the highest paid guy in the league, if need be, um, considering the caps going up, all that will probably look like a bargain deal in one or two years. He's young enough to where I think that makes sense. The injury history is there and it's, you know, he's played 11 and a half games over the last five years on average. So that's, uh, you know, a consideration, but I think even if you're getting him for 12, 13, 14 games, that's worth it uh, just because of how good he is. So that's one guy that I would advocate for, you know, in terms of um, investing a lot in the offensive line is like my centerpiece, but then other guys like Scherf, his injury history to me is a little bit even almost more concerning uh, than Tehran. Um, So, and plus he's a guard, not a tackle. So I don't know if I would necessarily go there with Scherf, but, I can understand if they did. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Ryan Jensen as well. You know, I think he's a, a game-changing presence on the interior. He's a tone setter. He's very smart. He could handle all the protections, you know, alleviate some of that pressure off of Burrow, kind of like how Corey Lindsley did for, you know, Justin Herbert last year in Los Angeles. A similar effect, although I think Jensen's better. I think he's more of an impact guy than Lindsley. Lindsley's more of a technician who's smart. Jensen's more of a, a smart guy who can physically impose, you know, himself on gun defenders in, in the pass and run game. He's, he's scheme diverse. He's big, you know, he, he's Lindsley's a little undersized. Jensen's a big starting center. So, and he hasn't missed a game in like four or five years. Um, so Jensen and Armstead, I think are the two prize prize, like top prizes on the free agent market right now in terms of offensive linemen. But there's some other good ones as well. So, you know, there's other ways to attack it. Ryan Jensen's 30. He's probably the free agent offensive lineman who has been linked to the Bengals the most. Frank Pollock at the Combine talked about wanting glass eaters. 
to have that personality on his offensive line. Okay. And it sounds like Ryan Jensen fits all of that. Plus, while he'll probably be high priced among the, the center free agents out there, he certainly wouldn't cost as much as Teron Armstead. Right, right. Yeah, because what is the top of the market for center? Like 13 million or so a year. And then tackle is, you know, you'd have to go over like close to 20 or whatever. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it makes sense, you know, given the scarcity of the tackle position out there, you know, compared to center, there's more starting level centers and tackles. But um, yeah, so that makes sense. But Jensen, I mean, if, if Pollock said that in terms of glass eaters, you know, and that whole dynamic of what you want an offensive lineman Jensen is the poster child for that. So that, that makes a lot of sense. We're talking to Brandon Thorne. He is the author of the trench warfare newsletter. I subscribe. It's the best content out there to learn about offensive and defensive line play. Let's talk about Laramie Tunsil. There have been reports that he could be available in a trade with the Texans. What would you think of the Bengals trying to trade for him? Um, you know, so largely contingent on the compensation for him. I mean, I think when he's healthy, he's one of the six or seven probably best left tackles in football, you know, somewhere around there. Um, so, you know, you're definitely getting a top 10 guy if he's healthy at a premium position. So I'm, I'm, I would imagine that would require a lot of resources. He's, he's fairly young as well. I want to say he's like 27 or so, 28 um somewhere in there so you're getting a guy who's still in his prime um yeah I mean I, that's very appealing to me for sure he's he's a better pass protector than run run blocker but he's still solid as a run blocker um but he's a guy that you can you know leave on an island against most competition off the edge and that really frees up an offense in a lot of different ways um so yeah, I mean, he's he's a very appealing piece, um, depending on what you'd have to pay for it. All about the compensation, as you pointed out. He has signed for a couple more years, which is also a positive in his case, although he is making big bucks. Let's yep. get back to free agent centers. The Bengals have Trey Hopkins under contract for one more year, but he's coming off the torn ACL from a couple of years ago. He, he struggled um, quite a bit this past season, and there have been a lot of talks that the Bengals will make him a, a cap casualty if the Bengals don't sign Ryan Jensen, because there'll be a lot of competition for his services. A couple of other names that have been mentioned are Bradley Bozeman from Baltimore and Ben Jones from Tennessee. Good fits for the Bengals? Um, yeah, I think they're pretty good fits. I prefer Ben Jones, even though he's older. Um, you know, I think Bozeman, you know, he's what five years older I'm looking at now than Bozeman. So in, in terms of long-term, obviously you would go Bozeman, plus he has more positional versatility. He's played guard, um, you know, which helps, but I just think Jones is a better player. Um, I'm a big fan of Ben Jones. So, you know, he's one of those guys who has been really underrated for, you know, I think half a dozen years now that I've been watching him. Um, he's a guy who's a very good run blocker, um, and he's a pretty good pass protector. You know, he's a guy who can definitely handle the mental side of it as well. He's been doing it a long time in Tennessee. He really succeeds in a kind of a similar type of scheme as of, uh, compared to what the Bengals run more so than Bozeman. Um, you know, Bozeman's coming from Baltimore's heavy gap scheme, whereas, um, Ben Jones has, you know, been blocking in Tennessee scheme, which is more wide tight zone you know, which is kind of more similar to what Cincinnati does. So I think it makes more sense from a schematic perspective to get Ben Jones. Um, and I just have always been a fan of him. I just think he, you know, to get kind of technical, he plays with really good leverage. 
Um, and he understands how to stay attached to blocks and it's very impressive how he works combinations with the guards. Um, and he's been doing that for so long in Tennessee. He's been one of the more underrated parts of their run game. Um, the work that he's done with Roger Saffold next to him and then Nate Davis. I mean, he's kind of, he's a key cog in what they do. Um, and from everything I've heard, you know, consummate leader, all that type of stuff, you know, checks all those boxes in terms of what he can bring to the locker room and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Ben Jones, but he's just more of a short-term answer as opposed to Bozeman where you can maybe expect him to, you know, be there a little bit longer. We're talking to offensive line, defensive line expert, Brandon Thorne. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Let's move to guards. If there's one name that's been mentioned most frequently where the Bengals are concerned, it's Lakin Tomlinson from San Francisco. What would you think of that marriage? I think it would make sense. Um, you know, again, kind of a similar scheme, you know, with San Francisco being his own heavy place. Um, Tomlinson is, it's, it's almost a little redundant to me with Spain. You know, I, I kind of see them similar, you know, they're more kind of, a, they're very physical tone setter kind of guys, good play strength. Um, you know, they can get in trouble if they're isolated and pass protection against sub package rushers you know, and, and really good three techniques, you know, they're not going to be guys who are going to be very good in pass protection. Um, a little bit stronger as run blockers, maybe a slight upgrade over Spain, you know, but I, I don't know that it's significant. Um, so, you know, if you just want to slightly upgrade the position and get a guy who I think is a little bit younger, that kind of thing, then, you know, it makes sense, but you know, not, I don't think it would be a, you know, a game changing presence, but, I mean, Tomlinson is a guy who, you know, if he's your maybe fourth best offensive lineman, then that's really good. You know, if he's your second best, you know, it's your line might not be, you know, that great. You know what I mean? So it's that's kind of how I see him. I see him as kind of just a solid, solid starter, which is fine. You know, if you want to go that approach, if you want to take that approach and, you know, add him with some other guys, I get it. But um, if he's kind of your prize guy in free agency, you know, that's. I don't know exactly how much better you got. In general terms, do you subscribe to the theory that a line is only as good as its weakest link? I think so. Yeah, I think there's a lot of merit to that, um, you know, viewpoint for sure. Um, because from what I understand how pass rushers and how defensive coordinators, defensive line coaches approach game plans, they're always looking for the quote unquote fish, you know, I've heard it called or, you know, just one, they're always looking for that guy that they can isolate in a game plan. And that's the guy that they're keying on. Um, they're always trying to, even if it's only two or three times a game, you know, as long as it's in a high leverage situation, they're going to be trying to isolate that guy against a good, a good pass rusher. And a lot of the times they're able to accomplish that. I mean, you can't protect a weak link all game long. Typically um, a lot has to go right for that to happen. So I think you're playing with fire if you're, you know, you're building a line and just leaving one spot kind of weak and you're trying to, you know, protect him with scheme and stuff like that all game. It, it's tough. So, yeah, I, I do think there's a, there's a lot of merit to that. My broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, former Bengals offensive lineman, would be smiling right now. He also uses <laughs> the expression, the fish. Okay. So you guys have that in common. Let's talk about some of the other guards, some names that have been mentioned, possibly where the Bengals are concerned. Connor Williams from Dallas, Austin Corbett from the Rams, Andrew Norwell from the Jags, who is from the Cincinnati area. 
Do those guys or any of the other available uh, guards out there really appeal to you? So out of those names, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Austin Corbett. Uh, so he's a guy that I've watched a lot of over the last couple of years. Um, was it 2020? I thought he was a top 10 right guard in the NFL in 2020 this year, this past season, um, maybe a little bit of a, a dip in his play and consistency. Um, but still there's some, there's some upside with Corbett that I don't think is there with those other guys. Maybe Connor Williams has some of that upside, but I haven't seen it on the field actually materialize as much as I have with Corbett. I think Connor is more up and down, um, especially in pass protection. He struggles. I mean, he's, he's a good athlete and he's young. He's somebody who you, you know, with a good line coach, you know, and stuff like that. I can understand wanting to get him in the building and try to mold him and improve him over time. But that'd probably be my, my next choice, but I, I, I like Corbett. I think his play strength is really impressive as a run blocker and in his anchor and pass protection. A lot of the time as well, you watch him last year against the bucks, what he did against uh, Sue was very impressive. And then 2020, I have a whole tape. You can go on my trench warfare site, every positive block he made that season I have on my, my sub stack. So people can really see what he would bring. Um, but just a really good run blocker, um, pass protection this year, like I said, took a little bit of a dip, but I, I like him. Um, I think he's, a, you know, probably an above average starter at right guard. So, you know, somewhere in that 10 to, you know, 12 range or so of right guards across the league. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I prefer Corbett personally. That's one of my favorite guys in the free agent class. Do you see much left in the tank for Andrew Norwell? Um, not a whole lot, but a, a little bit, you know, he's a guy who he, he definitely is a really good processor in terms of handling himself and pass protection and seeing things quickly. He can decipher stunts and line games and blitzes very quickly, but there's just not the same level of explosiveness and juice as there once was, you know, when he signed that deal in Jacksonville became the richest guard in NFL history. Um, you know, and I watched him a lot in Carolina. I loved him in Carolina, former undrafted guy. I love those kind of guys. Uh, but yeah, I just think physically there's a lot of wear and tear there. Um, maybe like on a very short term basis, you know, he could provide maybe a little bit of an upgrade over Spain, but I'm not sure how much we're talking here because I, I kind of like Quentin Spain for what he is, you know? So um, I think we're all talking about kind of middle of the pack or below kind of guys right now um but i think corbett is maybe more above that so but yeah that's kind of how i see norrell right now brandon thorne is our guest he is the author of the trench warfare newsletter again i subscribe and uh, i highly recommend it if you're interested in learning more about offensive and defensive line play let's move to tackles aside from teron armstead who will be the highest priced free agent tackle out there what other guys are available that you like so on a short-term basis, there's some there's some bridge-type guys uh, at left tackle, at least, if if Cincinnati wanted to move Jonah Williams to the right side or whatever. You know, I, I guess that's feasible. You know, he played right tackle at Alabama, um, at least for one season. So uh, Dwayne Brown is a guy who I like. He, he kind of – he definitely dipped last year compared to 2020. 2020, he was excellent. Like, he was uh, one of the – five or six best left tackles in the game in 2020, 2021, it was a little bit more up and down their whole offensive line was really, but I think if you're talking about for a year or two, 
Uh, Dwayne Brown is somebody that I would really like. Um, and then another guy kind of like that, who's maybe doesn't even have that much left in the tank. He's 40 years old, Jason Peters. You know, Peters is a guy, if he's like your fourth best offensive lineman at this point, third maybe, then that's pretty good. But I just, I'm watching every snap of him for a highlight tape I'm making. And uh, Peters was better than I think a lot of people thought, uh, considering he was 39 last year and he got signed late in training camp, all that stuff. He has some pretty impressive reps that he put on tape and definitely isn't the same guy. You know, he's a Hall of Famer, but he's, he's not what he once was but he's so crafty. He's still very strong. Um, and I think he's a guy that you can definitely win with if you signed him on obviously like a one-year deal. Um, but in terms of like answers, you know, long-term at the tackle position, I don't really think you're going to find anybody in free agency. Um, you know, I'm looking at the list again, but I mean, for more than one or two years, I mean, I really like Trent Brown, but it's just tough to bank on him being available week in, week out. But his upside, I think, is probably the highest after Armstead in the whole class. Um, but there's a lot of variance there. So that one's tough. Uh, but yeah, tackle is just the position on the line. It's like quarterback. I mean, you know, they very rarely hit the market like Teron Armstead does, you know, where you're getting the top three or four guy at his position. And they just don't make a lot of those guys. You know, there's just there's just not a lot of offensive tackles, period. You know, I mean, it's funny. I, I talk about this kind of a sidebar, but like the developmental leagues that pop up, I always say that it, it might as well be seven on seven because the offensive line is always going to be bad in those. It's just it's just the way it is, especially tackle, because there's not enough to fill NFL rosters, right. you know, let alone developmental leagues. So. Um, yeah, it's just the way it is tackle. I mean, the demand is always going to outweigh the supply. It's just always going to be that way. And I think that's the case here, you know, in terms of long-term answers, there's some short-term guys I like, like I said, but long-term you got to go in the draft, you know, pretty much. Morgan Moses doesn't do much for you. That would probably, he'd probably be in the top five, you know, if we're, we're talking about short-term again for him, you know, um, he's younger than those other guys for sure. Moses, um, yeah, he's he's a guy who's played injured a lot over the last few years. I'm not I'm not sure how much longer he would have at a very high level um, or at a high level. But yeah, he's a guy, you know, I would say after I think Trent Brown is definitely better than Morgan Moses, but Morgan Moses is more reliable. So he might have more value um, in a lot of ways, which I totally get. But yeah, he's he's definitely one of the five best. You know, I'd say Trent Brown, Peters, Dwayne Brown. Moses Armstead, those would probably be my top tackles in the, in the free agency market. Before we get to the draft between the regular season and the four playoff games last year, Joe Burrow got sacked 70 times and Zach Taylor often points out it's not all on the offensive line in the Bengals case. How much validity is there to that? I mean, I think maybe not. I don't totally agree with that. Um, but I understand what he's saying. I mean, just generally speaking, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, sacks oftentimes are more, um, the onus is more on the quarterback than the offensive line, but in Cincinnati's case specifically, I think the offensive line was clearly an issue, especially on the right side. Um, you know, when you had multiple backups in there, Isaiah Prince and, you know, kind of that rotation at right guard. And that was an issue. I mean, yeah, you, you can't roll out Isaiah Prince at right tackle and expect to, you know, block high level edge rushers and then at right guard as well with Adeniji and 
Um, Jackson Carmen. I mean, I think you know, obviously Carmen, you still want to have him compete for a job next year. He's a rookie. He's very young, all that type of stuff. I still think there's a pathway for him to start. Um, but yeah, I just, they, they had multiple backup caliber players playing on the right side and, you know, they did obviously a very admirable job as a collectively as a whole, as an offense, getting to where they got and producing how they produced. But when you isolate the offensive line, it was certainly an issue on the right side, especially. Carmen and Adenogy were both tackles in college and tried to play right guard last year in the NFL. How difficult is it to make that switch, especially early in your NFL career? I think it's, I didn't watch Adenogy in college, but I, I, I wrote a full scouting report on Jackson Carmen. People can read um, online if you just Google that. But uh, Carmen, I saw as a guard in the NFL because of his struggles to tackle at Clemson. The thing about moving that makes it more difficult inside from outside is if you switch sides as well, which Carmen did. It's not like he was a right tackle going to right guard. He was a left tackle going to right guard. So that kind of, you know, throws a bigger wrench in sort of just the biomechanical aspect of switching positions. Not only are you doing that, but you're switching the sides. So you just have to kind of reconfigure your technique in a way, you know, that is difficult, you know, people have compared it to writing with your opposite hand. Um, you know, people have tried that, obviously you see how foreign that is and how weird it is. And that's kind of a similar dynamic. It takes a lot of reps. It takes a lot of practice and you just have to learn and kind of rewire your body to operate on a different side, your strengths, you know, become like the dominant side becomes your non-dominant side and vice versa. And that's, that's difficult. So some guys adapt to it way better than others, but I say that I would say that's the exception more than the rule. Most guys, if you're switching sides, it's very difficult and it takes time, especially as a young guy, like you said. So I'm still, you know, I think I gave Carmen a third round grade. You know, I thought his technique needed a lot of work at tackle hand usage, stuff like that, getting too wide, you know, allowing guys to get inside his chest and not playing with good leverage, but in terms of sheer explosiveness, power, size, those kind of things he has. So there's a foundation there to become a starter, I, I think. Um, so I, I would still expect him to compete for a job at least. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I, but to answer your original question, the right side was, was definitely, you know, a, a major issue. We're chatting with Brandon Thorne, the offensive and defensive line guru. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Let's get to the draft. The Bengals have the 31st overall pick. Let's just say they stay there at 31. Who are some offensive linemen that you think have a decent chance of still being there at 31 that interest you? Well, we'll start interior first. I'm looking at the interior. I think Tyler Linderbaum could be there. Um, obviously, he's he's for me one of the three best offensive linemen in the class. So, you know, the thing with him is he has 31 and one eighth inch arms, which is, you know, it's a concern. You know, I mean, there's going to be certain matchups in the NFL, certain nose tackles and other rushers who are going. It's going to be very difficult for him to prevent them from accessing his frame and controlling him. Um, you know, that's just something you're going to kind of have to live with and you're going to have to adapt to him. So that's why I think he might be available there. Um, even though what he does in the run game, I believe is really special. And I think he's much more powerful than somebody like Garrett Bradbury coming out, who's oftentimes the comparison for him. 
I think he's very similar, but he's just more powerful. Um, so that to me would, I think, translate to him being a better run blocker. But I equate it to how the Eagles treat Jason Kelsey, which not every team is equipped to do this. But in, in Philadelphia, the guards are not allowed to help the tackles in pass protection because they have to stay inside and help Kelsey. And that's just what you have to do with Jason Kelsey. You have to help him in pass protection against certain guys because he's 285 pounds, you know, he's 290 pounds, whatever he is, you know, and he just doesn't have the mass and the girth and the lower half strength to hold up, you know, against certain guys. So he has brand, he had Brandon Brooks on one side, Isaac Ciamalo on the other. They always had giant guards next to him. And that's because they had elite tackles and Peters and Lane Johnson. So they were able to do that. Um, you know, ideally that's kind of the situation that Linderbaum goes into a place that has two bigger type of guards who can provide him some help and really good tackles. Now, obviously not a lot of teams are able to provide that infrastructure. So the, you know, in terms of projecting Linderbaum, it becomes tricky, you know, but I, that's why I think he could be available there, even though early in the process, he was sometimes rumored to be a top 10 pick. I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, so Linderbaum is a guy if they want to upgrade center and especially in the run game and just offer something totally different than Trey Hopkins in terms of what he can do in the zone run game. And then there's two guards that I could see being available there. Zion Johnson, who's probably my biggest guy in the draft. I was very high on him. And uh, when I wrote his report in January, had him as a first round pick and then he crushed the senior bowl process, crushed the combine. And that was just awesome. He even exceeded my expectations at the combine. So, um, and I'm very high on Zion. I think Zion is a plug and play guard. He is very well-rounded, technically sound, strong, powerful. I mean, not the most physically imposing guy because he's, you know, just, I mean, he's six, six, two and a half, three, fifteen. So he's not like the biggest guard, but plenty of size. He's, he has a great build and all that stuff. He's smart. You know, play processing skills are impressive. I mean, I just think he's very well-rounded. I compared him to Kevin Zeitler, actually. Um, so, and I can kind of see like that type of player, you know, where Zeitler was above average for a decade, you know, maybe a little better at times as well. So that's kind of how I see Zion. Um, Kenyon Green is another guy um, who could be available there. I think it's possible. Um, he's He has a little bit more flashes of power than Zion does. He's bigger, um, you know, than Zion, but I just think technically he, he has more, um, he's not as clean as Zion Johnson is. So I have a second round grade on Kenyon green, but he's going to go in the first round probably. Uh, so those would be three guys on the interior that I think, uh, would be really nice for the Bengals to get any one of those guys. Um, and then as far as tackle, I think you're looking at two names really, maybe three, but Bernard Raymond, Trevor Penning, and Daniel Falele. I personally have Falele with like a mid to late second round grade, more late second, but I think it's feasible he could go there. It depends on if Raymond or Penning are gone. You know, I, I think those are the two you're looking at there in terms of tackle. And I have both of their grades for me personally is like a fringe first. So late first, early second, that's how I see them. I'm sure Penning will go higher. He'll pr he probably won't be av available, honestly, but I think Raymond is probably the guy who could be available there. And I compared him to Jake Matthews 
So if you just think about Jake Matthews, who he is as a player, he's solid to above average at times, but more so middle of the pack tackle, really athletic. Um, I think he's probably stronger than Jake Matthews coming out. The only thing is with Raymond, he has short arms, um, which isn't as big of a deal to me as it may be to some other people. The one thing that's kind of concerning is he's going to be a 25-year-old rookie, so he's going to be older. The only thing with that is there's kind of a dichotomy there because he's only played 18 games of offensive line in his life. Mm. So even though he's older, he's very young in terms of, you know, football player, in terms of uh, playing offensive line. And he's already like very polished for only playing 18 games. It's really impressive. So I think he can still get quite a bit better, even though he's older. So I like Raymond a pretty good amount. So I would say probably the top guys is like Linderbaum, Zion Johnson, and Bernard Raymond. Those are probably the three. Um, and I would be very happy with probably any of those guys if I was a Bengals fan. So Linderbaum played at Iowa, Zion Johnson, Boston College, Raymond at Central Michigan. I think if you look at the Bengals' recent draft history, they tend to go for major conference linemen, at least with their early picks. Do you have any concern about a guy who played at Central Michigan being a first-round pick? Um, a little bit, but at 31, then, you know, not as much there, you know, because that's that's just at the tail end, and you just want to prevent, you know, the top of the second-round teams from getting him, you know what I mean? And even though he might be a top second, top of the second kind of value, if you get him at 31, I think that's okay. Um, so, yeah, but I think always, yeah, if, you, if you're drafting a smaller school guy, you want to see them dominate. You know, and uh, Raymond, I wouldn't say was dominant, but I would say he was very good. Um, and at the senior bowl was up and down. So there's there's some, you know, definitely you could poke holes in his evaluation. That's why I have a fringe first on him. You know, it's not quite a first. You know, it's not quite. A, it's kind of like right in that pick 31 range. So to me, it would make sense. But I can understand how if you're a little lower on a guy like that. But I mean, Linderbaum. You know, obviously he went to Iowa. That's a big school. Um, and uh, Zion at Boston College and the ACC, you know, it's not the a- a- SEC or even the Big Ten. But, I mean, Zion was very well coached at Boston College. Um, I think they were they were one of the best offensive lines to watch in the country. I mean, you could tell they're all on the same page. Um, their offensive line coach just got hired to coach the Dolphins. Um, but, yeah, I – I wouldn't be too concerned with those other two, but yeah, a guy like Raymond central Michigan's a different story, you know? So I understand that. So when you talked about Linderbaum, I heard the red flags and Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily hear why I should be excited. If the Bengals wind up getting him at 31, what are the strengths? Why are people high on Tyler Linderbaum, despite the fact that his arms are a little more than 31 inches. So pretty much directly from my report, you know, very good initial quickness, uh, contact balance and body control. Um, he stays attached to blocks consistently. He doesn't fall off blocks really ever. Um, I think his grip strength is amazing. That's kind of bleeds into that. Once he gets latched into defenders, he's not coming off um, really ever. Uh, and he's very explosive through the drive portion of blocks. So he can create displacement in the run game. Um, and then how he works combo blocks is it's masterful. Uh, he's very good at working combo combination blocks in terms of knowing how to overtake blocks, how to climb, when to climb the timing aspect of it, how to fit on blocks. He's very adept at that. 
Um, so zone run games, you know, I'm sure they're going to love him. Um, and he, he applies consistent pressure on defenders through the whistle. He has really good leg drive. Um, he's powerful. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he gets a lot of knockdowns in college. I'm not sure he'll get as many as in the pros, but he's going to definitely, I think, create displacement in the pros. Um, and, you know, in pass protection, I think when he's uncovered, um, he looks for work very well. He can find work um, at a high level and he provides a lot of thump and power on adjacent rushers to kind of collapse guys. You know, he'll find their rib cage and their hip and he'll really knock them over with violence. So he's a very physical guy as well. Um, so, I mean, I think he's going to bring a lot just to a run game. Um, and the, the other thing is he's devastating at the second level. So if he gets attached to a linebacker or a DB, which he has the athleticism to do, I mean, he's going to probably get a pancake, you know, a lot of the time. So he's, he's just, uh, I think he's a, you know, an, an impact run blocker. So that's what you're getting. You're getting somebody like Bradbury can do certain stuff in the pros. Like he's really good on screens. He can reach shades sometimes, but he just gets, he's just not strong and powerful enough really. And I think that's where Linderbaum separates himself from a guy like that. Um, and he could, you know, just be better um, than, than Bradbury, I think, but you know, it's, it's the size and the anchoring ability and pass protection that people have questions about, but he's not a bad pass protector in terms of technique, you know, using his hands and stuff like that. He can get better. Um, and I think if he does get better, it can kind of mitigate some of the, his concerns. Um, so he has room to improve too. I mean, it's not like he's, he, it's not like he's maxed out, you know, he's not coming in the NFL, like this is what you're getting, you know, period. I feel like he has room to grow with his technique as a pass protector to where he can get better. You know what I mean? So. I don't think for Brandon Thorne and I'll let you go. The Bengals drafted three offensive linemen last year. Jackson Carmen obviously was the highest uh, drafted in the second round and Duke Tobin, the director of player personnel made the point at the scouting combine that it takes a while, particularly nowadays for many offensive linemen to adapt to the differences from college football to the NFL. How long do you give a guy? I mean, I know it varies from person to person, but do you typically know within a couple of years whether a guy's going to be any good or not? I think you can. You can know. Um, I really think you have to look at what's around a guy a lot of the time, you know, like who he's playing next to, who's his coach, what's his scheme, does it fit him? Um, a perfect example is Lakin Tomlinson in Detroit. Everyone said he was a bust. You know, first-round pick, went to Detroit, struggled, I've heard some crazy stuff about the offensive line coach there at the time and what the just crazy dynamics there in terms of locker room stuff um, that went on. Uh, I still saw flashes of brilliance from Lakin Tomlinson in Detroit. I wrote an article about it back in the day. He had a, an incredible game against Mike Daniels when Mike Daniels was at his peak in Green Bay. Um, so he had flashes, but he was very up and down goes to San Francisco after three or four years in Detroit. And then all of a sudden he looks like a totally different player. He's in the perfect scheme. He's playing for a great coach. Um, he's playing next to Joe Staley, you know, all this stuff happens to him. And then you got a above average guy for a few years, solid guy. So I, I like to think at least two or three years, typically. I mean, obviously a lot of guys don't get that. It depends on what you, where you get drafted as well. Obviously, your leash is longer the higher you get drafted. Um, but 
ideally you want to give a guy two or three years um, and you want to assess everything around him as well. And really when you drill into the tape and you search for, you know, flashes, and then you ask yourself why those aren't more consistent, then you start to look at the outside picture around him. And then sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, this, this is what he is. You know, he, he has a pretty good coach. He has pretty good players around him and he's just very inconsistent. But then sometimes, you know, you got a guy like, I mean, Jackson Carmen is a interesting one to kind of tie it to him because he's so young, you know, he's 21 or whatever, 22 came in very young, left dirt, probably left Clemson probably a year or two early, um, switching sides, switching positions, uh, playing next to, you know, a guy like Isaiah Prince, who's providing zero stability for him at all. Um, and then, you know, Hopkins helps, you know, to, to some degree, but he, he wasn't in a great position either last year. And there's a lot of, I mean, I feel like you've got to be patient with a guy like this. Um, you know, you have to give him at least another year to me, you know, all things considered. So, yeah, I mean, it's really a case by case basis, but, you know, hopefully I can, I answered some of that, you know, by providing some examples there, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's fun discussion. Our guest has been Brandon Thorne. He is the author of the trench warfare newsletter. It's great. It's the best content out there about offensive line play and defensive line play as well. I'm really enjoying it. I'm a recent subscriber and uh, I look forward to learning more throughout the course of the year. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again down the road. Absolutely. Anytime. If you're interested in Brandon's newsletter and video breakdowns, just do a search for Trench Warfare Newsletter, and you'll find a link with information on how to subscribe. It costs $8 for a month or $85 for a year. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.